0: This dolphin as this huge, gentle energy presents to me somehow feminine and masculine in joined together. And you can be weak and you can be strong and you can, you yourself can be anything with this dolphin. And there is no judgment. There's full acceptance.
1: Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My 4th Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your 4th Act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected 4th Acts. Listen and be inspired, and please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am so very happy to welcome Stephanie von Fallois to the My Fourth Act podcast. Stephanie is a German-born life coach, psychologist, and a former nurse who now resides in Miami, Florida. She was for many years the head therapist at Dolphin Human Therapy, a world-renowned animal-assisted therapy facility in Key Largo, Florida. Stephanie currently serves as a guest therapist at Cura Sound Dolphin Therapy Center in Curaçao, where she coaches families and individuals facing unique difficulties in their lives. She has been recognized in European newspapers, television specials, and documentaries. And Stephanie also supports clients in her private practice in Miami. Welcome, Stephanie.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so happy.
1: Happy to be here. To our listeners, I confess, Stephanie is somebody who I know socially. She's married to a wonderful man named Alan, who was one of the first people I met when I moved to Miami. And he said, oh, I have this wonderful German wife. You should meet her. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> I wanted to speak with you for so many reasons. But well, one is that I mentioned in the introduction that you you do some work with dolphins, Mm -hmm. It goes into, in my mind, deep mystical healing, things that are difficult to maybe express and put into words, but that are things we all need individually and in the planet. So I wanted to speak with you. But before we go there, the fellow German, uh, when you were a young girl or teenager growing up in Germany, and you know how parents want to know what you want to do when you grow up, like what? What were you thinking or what, what would you say to mom and dad?
0: I was very into little children and babies as I was a child myself. It was very interesting. I loved babies. I love taking care of kids. And I wanted to become a pediatric nurse. I wanted to be just around babies. It was very interesting. I think my dad was not so happy about that path. But, um, that is what I wanted to become when I was very young. And I even worked when I was 13 or 14. I worked in a hospital during my summer vacation on a newborn ward. It was so emotional and so touching. And I, I was, we, we knew the head nurse and she let me do everything. It was amazing. I was allowed to base newborn babies and, you know, Dress them and just hug them and be with them. It was very, very uh, intense experience at a very young age.
1: You can just imagine that would be very intense. And uh, I just know that young-born babies are so, so small, and to me, at mm-hmm. the outside, look fragile. So, very. what was it like for you to like? What did it invoke in you when you were with these young-born babies?
0: I think like if I look back, I always ask myself, why was that? I think because I was put into boarding school at a very young age. At, I was 11 and uh, I was the youngest sister of five brothers and my twin brother and I, we were put into boarding school. And I think this feeling of abandonment and of. Being all by myself and, and feeling very much alone, crying for many nights in my bed, not being heard. That I think was something where I, I liked this caring. I think there was something within me that I nurtured caring for these little kids. And I just felt somehow that it, it healed a part of me, I think.
1: You became a nurse for a while as an adult. Were you actually a pediatric nurse?
0: No, it's interesting. I did not at the end in the end become a pediatric nurse. I became a nurse for normal adults, and it was like somebody recommended to to become a nurse, like a, a general nurse, and because children would be a part of it, and then I could still at some point, you know. Specialized in children, but I became a full nurse for adults for, I would say, around seven years.
1: So since, since I just had a surgery where I was taken care of by lots of nurses, yes. I have other nurse friends in my life, but being a patient, but yes. two things stand out. I was so appreciative mm. of everything that nurses do. Yes. And I saw the different nurses, there were different skill levels.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there was a different, a different abilities of being a compassionate nurse that mm-hmm. I experienced as a patient. So even though everybody had the same profession, there were significant differences of how I experienced it. But mm-hmm. I want to ask you, as somebody who was a nurse, we had to take care of lots of different people. Yes. And and this these are all very transient relationships, but right? you know you're not gonna see them for a long time. What in your memory stands out for you as wow, this is something that was important for me about being an nurse.
0: I think being very present to a patient's and a patient's needs in this moment. Was something that you know followed me throughout my next career, but I think it started already in being in a more physical caring part, and of course, also emotional part. But I think that being a good listener, being open, uh, really trying to emphasize I mean, emphasize to understand what is it that this patient this person needs at the moment, and that is something I really enjoyed. to care and to make them feel better, and to make them feel comfortable, and to make them less fearful, and yes, that's.
1: Well, I can see how much of what you describe relates to the dolphin work you've been doing and how that is an almost amplified playground for what you're doing as a nurse. But before we go there, um, I lived in Berlin for a while. I lived in Berlin before I came to the United States. You lived in Berlin before you became the right. United States. And and Berlin is to many people now this this glamorous, sexy world city with a great history. So one Berliner asking another one, if you had to explain to somebody who doesn't know Berlin well, what are some things that you think are really cool and wonderful about Berlin? The Berlin that you remember.
0: The Berlin that I remember—that was before the wall came down. So I moved there in 1988, 89. So the wall came down in November of '89, as you remember. And so I moved there before before the wall came down, which was, of course, never imagined at that time. Hoped always, but not not really imaginable. And uh, so. Berlin had this like island status, you know, people were always, in my memory, always a little different who moved to Berlin or who wanted to be in Berlin. It was an island in the middle of East Germany. I mean, if you imagine, I don't even know any country where you would have anything like that. It was a divided city and the city is located, was located, still is in the eastern part of a country we were not allowed to visit. I mean, imagine, so all those people who moved to Berlin were looking for something unique. And so when I moved there, I was drawn to that, you know, being a little bit different and being a little bit crazy, maybe, and very curious. I came from a little village. I grew up in the countryside, so Berlin, of course, was very different than anything I had seen before.
1: I didn't know we were going to talk about this, but since you mentioned right before the wall, I, like you, I, school, it was always talked about we're going to be unified again sometime. And as a kid, you go, yeah, that'll never happen. Mm -hmm. And I remember the day it happened, I was in the United States and the wall comes down. And from a place that I didn't know was inside of me, I was just weeping and weeping Mm -hmm. and weeping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It was so profound. Can you give us a glimpse for what it was like for you as somebody who was a Berliner at that time? Encountering if we use the metaphor of divided country, the wall coming down it has so many layers of meaning.
0: Yes. Extremely emotional. I think, you know, what you described, I was crying and I was in disbelief and I remember the first days when all these cars came over and all these people, and you know, we welcomed everybody with open arms and we were open to meet all these new people we had never, I at least had never seen, and uh, to hear their stories and help them move forward. And it was just so overwhelming. It was, it was like history life, history in the making. And I was just in the middle of everything and uh, very, very touching.
1: Since you and I met in Miami, your husband is American. I assume moving here had something to do with Alan and your husband. But would you just give us a glimpse, like how how did it come about that you left Berlin? And I was worried, were you excited to come to Miami? Did you have mixed feelings about coming here? What what was that transition like?
0: Uh, I have to go a little bit backwards because I knew a little bit of Miami through my internship. I did in 1997 in Miami uh, at that time with dolphin assisted th- therapy. At that time it was called dolphin human therapy with uh, Dr. Nathanson, my boss. And, um, and it was, uh, it was interesting because it was a, at the end of my studies, and I was watching TV. It was a very gray November day, as you know how that is in Germany. And I was watching TV, and I saw a documentary about dolphin assisted therapy, and I was like, "Oh my God!" It was, you know, the sunshine, the palm trees, the dolphins, the the whole environment. I mean, it was. I was sitting there and I'm like, really? That exists? You know, I had seen Flipper as a kid, but it was like, it, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. And it was maybe, I can't remember, maybe 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes was over and uh, it was 1996. So there was nothing. I had no access to any information. I couldn't just go into the internet and Google. You know, so I had to write to the TV channel that they would send me the information about, you know, this documentary. It was Dolphin Aid in Dusseldorf. So uh, finally, after I think two months or something, I was in the middle of my exams. I got a letter from, I got a letter from TV and they sent me all the information and then I you know the same way I'm telling you now I wrote everything you know and I said I'm I saw your doc- documentary and if there's ever any space for me there uh, if I can do anything it doesn't really matter I just want to go there and I want to be part of this great uh, therapy program So I sent everything off and forgot about it. And in, I think, April of 1997, Dolphin 8 called me and asked me, they asked me (laughs) whether I would like to accompany the first six families attending therapy in Miami and be their dolmetscher and assistant. And I was a little bit, you know, I did everything. So that's how I met Miami. So that's how I got to know Miami. So then,
1: so oh, let, let let's talk about that first, because that's <laughs> you know that cliche. Something is supposed to be. Something is meant to be. This is like one of those. It was meant to be stories, oh, right? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. You can't plan that.
1: <laughs> you can't plan that. But describe to us, and and was this center already in Key Largo? Because I visited you once in Key Largo. Is that where you went, where the dolphins were?
0: At that time, it was, they had moved several times. They started in Key Largo, I think, then they moved to Mexico, the program. And then when I went there, it was in Miami at the Sea Aquarium. I think in 2000, they moved back to Key Largo.
1: So in your first visit, you're accompanying the six families, and you remember things that stood out for you from that experience firsthand being with dolphins, and I'm assuming people interacting with dolphins, and what did you observe or what what stood out for you?
0: Well, first of all, I met amazing families. They were very unique families, families with special needs children anyway, very unique. I must say I met so many hundreds of different families and they have, you know, through their special needs child, they have become very special as a family. And so I met very unique families and having them enter this dolphin encounter for the first time I remember I was just in tears and I was so touched and those gentle giants and I wasn't even allowed to touch any dolphin I wasn't allowed to swim with them at all during that time it was very strict I was only the assistant for the families I think on my last day I was allowed to touch them once and it was such a unique feeling I was so smooth and soft and but to see how these dolphins were interacting with the kids, it was, was something I had never seen only, you know, in this documentary, but never before. This gentleness and this tenderness and their sounds and the, they always look as if they smile and it just brings so much joy to the observer. And I think everybody was just speechless and very emotional.
1: What did the dolphins bring out in the children?
0: Joy, joy, a lot of joy, just pure joy. And, you know, they don't probably, you know, as we, we try to analyze everything, you know, why is it this way and this way, whatever. I think they're just more, much more present and they're just there and, they, you know, how kids are. And they're just, present to the moment and they, they interacted, they played, they s- listened to the sounds. And I think it was always a big smile. And there were some children, for example, who had cerebral palsy or, or were spastic in their arms and, or legs and legs. And they, you know, started to relax in the water and they became, you know, some who were hyper became much calmer and some who were very calm and floppy because they had no body tone became like changed into some with with much more alertness. It was very amazing to see these changes within such a short period of time. You couldn't really believe it. And it's not really explained until today either.
1: I know that. And I know you and I have talked about this. There's still a, the mystery to this encounter that can't be fully explained. But I know you ask yourself those questions. So how, if you had to come up with a hypothesis, it doesn't have to be scientific, but a hypothesis about what that exchange is between a dolphin and the human soul or human spirit. Hmm.
0: Difficult question. (laughs) One theory I have is that you know, we as human beings, we all come f- for at least nine months from being in the water. I mean, this is very nature to us, being inside the womb, inside w- water all around us. So I think water in general has something very unique, also familiar to us. And then this dolphin has this huge, gentle, Energy presents to me somehow feminine and masculine in joined together. And you can be weak and you can be strong and you can, you yourself can be anything with this dolphin. And there is no judgment. There's full acceptance. They don't check you out, whether you, you know, look this way or this way or nothing. They just accept everyone for whom they are and the way they present themselves in this moment. And I think this combination of being in water and exposed to this amazing animal, which always has a smile on his face, brings out something very unique.
1: A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. you and Alan, your husband, moved to Miami. So I'm immediately going like, how soon how long did it take you to find your way back to dolphin human therapy? And because you had not been formally trained to be a therapist and you became in the end a head therapist. And I'm sure our listeners are going, how does one become a therapist who works with dolphins? Could you just tell us that story?
0: If I would have known what I would, you know, what came up and what I had to learn during all these years, you know, I would probably never have applied because it was (laughs) such a huge learning curve because I was a psychologist. I mean, I had been a nurse. I've been a psychologist. I had done systemic family therapy in Berlin, and I had, of course, a background, But then I had to work with not only, you know, I would say I had a little idea about autism and I I had worked with autistic youth in Berlin, but had never ever worked with any child in a wheelchair. I had never worked with cerebral palsy. I had never worked with uh, so many kids or adults with all these different disabilities. I was like, how am I ever going to, you know, accomplish that in the beginning? I was like, you know, it was so much to learn. Just imagine you yourself being in the water with the dolphin. I mean, I always wear a belt, but still, I mean, that is already one big experience, how you position yourself and that you stay calm because the moment you're not calm, forget it. The dolphin is just going to move away. And uh, does not feel comfortable when you move, you know, with your arms and legs and whatever. And then you have a child that, especially in the beginning, you haven't even met except for maybe like half an hour. And then, very often, I would say 80% of my initial years when I work with kids could hardly talk. They had many of those kids had no communication skills. And so They came, they flew from, most of the kids I worked with were from Europe, so German-speaking population, so um, because I'm German and I speak the language, of course I had all these German families. So they flew from the other side, you know, from Germany, paid a lot of money, so they came with huge expectations. So then you can see little Stephanie there (laughs) with this child, huge expectations and you had to make it somehow work. You had to go into the water. You had to provide therapy because it is, in the end, it is conventional therapy in a very unconventional setting. It's not what many people might think who have never attended or watched it. It's not that, oh, you just go and swim with a dolphin and then some healing takes place. No, 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 that's not what it is. It is You know, providing very conventional therapy with, you know, we had speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists. You, so you have a swimming platform and you do work on these skills, communication skills to help someone to produce sounds, to communicate with sign language. All that was so much learning. And every day we had this great team who and everybody. You know, we we cross trained a lot. So when if I had a physical involved child, then I always had a physical therapist who I could um, ask for help, and vice versa. We always helped each other, and everybody had to learn in different fields where they had no clue before. It was
1: you just did such a wonderful job of describing to us your substantial background in Germany, and then how everything. Changed and became something different when you were here. So, what I'm curious, and this is really in the spirit of this podcast, my fourth act. You being in Key Largo, and I had the pleasure of visiting you there and watching you work with dolphins. So, I have a very vivid memory of you and the water and the dolphins and the children and the families. That was a whole other act in your professional career. What did you, Stephanie, learn about yourself? through this work with the children and the dolphins? How did that change you?
0: I don't really know if I can say whether it changed me, but it certainly brought out a lot of parts within me that I really hadn't addressed. For example, creativity was something I never knew that something within me and a lot of, spontaneity and a lot of laughter, music, singing, so many of these things I had not really had contact with. And I think that is something I enjoyed so deeply, but I think it was in me, but it it hadn't a chance to come out. So I think that a lot of transformation, you know, took place. And brought out sides of me that I hadn't connected with before, and then, for example, um, where I also felt that is maybe it's not the right place to say that, but in in my garden, you know, we bought a house and we we bought a you know a house in the gables with the garden, and yeah, you know, I always liked flowers and plants, but I had never ever been creative with anything. And suddenly I see myself, you know, being creative, not that I can, I've never been the, the person, you know, who just looks at a, like an empty space and then says, okay, this is how it's going to look like. I can't do that. But over the years, you know, I created a really nice sanctuary where then my clients participate and enjoy when they're here.
1: nice i'm going to put some cognitive language to what you just said because this is what i heard what i heard is that and i'm listening to the dolphins i'm also regarding is that that you learn to experience life in more dimensions consciously yes Uh, so the senses were more fully awakened and you settled totally. into a more fully dimensional experience of life, right? That's what I heard.
0: Yes, yes. Ah. And and the interesting part is nothing of what I did. I could have planned because there's so many, you know, when I met Alan, I remember even in our interview as, you know, he worked in human resources and executive search. And I remember when I did my internship, that's how we met he said, where, want, where do you want to be in five years? And we were always joking about our different approach to life because I'm never about where am I going to be in five years. I don't really care where I'm going to be in five years. I will be there where I need to be. And Alan is always, you know, the he, he has a, just a different approach. You know, it's more the planning and the strategic and this and that. And, 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 I'm not that person. I never was, and and I and my life was very, or is very exciting. The way it showed up.
1: And one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is, is that you, my sense is, you always meet life on life's terms, and that's when the doors open to the next thing. Now I know, and I've only been down to Kilargo once and watched you work. But at some point I heard that that yes. place had closed.
0: Mm-hmm. And even,
1: even I felt a little sad because I was wondering, mm-hmm. wow, this was a very special playground where some, some exquisite work was done. Mm-hmm. How did you get from there to Curacao where you, you're not full time, but you work there several times a year. How did you find Curacao or how did Curacao find you or how did that happen?
0: it was traumatic a little bit when dolphin human therapy closed its doors. It didn't close its doors because the program didn't work. It was because my boss wanted to have his own facility and he, uh, he he was just leasing it, but that never worked out. But, um, I lost a little bit my identity. Uh, like, who am I if I'm not this great dolphin therapist anymore? It was, it was interesting to connect with that part of myself. Like, who am I? Then I remember and Curacao already exists. As I must say that was already, I think Curacao started the program itself started in 2005, five, six. So we ended at the end of 2006 so it was it already existed but I had a very I don't even know if you know about this I had a very interesting phase in between because with those parents you know when they come for therapy you work very intensely with them it's not like you know you come for an hour therapy and you talk for an hour and then they go I mean you're with them for two weeks and uh, in a very unique setting, and you and I always did this counseling with the parents and with the siblings. Anyway, so we were very close normally with the parents and and the families, and they always used to say, you know, Stephanie, it would be so nice if you could work in Austria or Germany or Switzerland, whatever, you know, because we learn so much, but then we come home and then we have difficulties to implement all of this. And even though the kids made a lot of progress and so on, but they've needed some help at home. So one, I remember one morning, I, it was a Sunday morning, I was in bed and I was like, okay, so, you know, if they don't come here at the moment because there's no dolphin Center, maybe I can go there. Maybe I can go there and offer them, you know, a different kind of therapy, but, you know, I could maybe move in for a week and do... A little bit like Super Nanny for Special Needs Families. I had watched Super Nanny before. So I did that. I wrote to the parents and they booked me. And it was unbelievable. It made me extremely humble towards these families, what I experienced there. Unbelievable what parents with special needs have to do from, you know, every morning to night, from year over year over year. I... I had a very another intense learning curve living with those families. I really moved in. I really moved in. I stayed there. I worked with a, with a special needs child. I worked with the parents, I did parents counseling, marriage counseling depending what they needed. I went to the schools. I worked with siblings so and talked to different teachers. It was a whole new therapy that just came out of no nowhere and it doesn't even exist and the parents i mean if there's anybody listening who would like to offer something like that there is a huge need for something like that a sure. huge need
1: there's so many different places we can go in this conversation uh, but I, I i want to spend a little bit of time talking about Day twenty twenty three, and especially how your life is emerging, evolving, changing. You described your beautiful garden, and I've had the pleasure to visit your house, which is for people who don't know Miami. It's in an area called Coral Gables, which is its own city. I would say a, an upscale, beautiful suburb of Miami, and you have a truly enchanted house and garden. Thank you. It could be easy to just sort of say, I'm going to hang out in my garden, enjoy the swimming pool, take care of my plants and do nothing. But mm-hmm. I know you also see other clients. Yeah. And one thing that I'm interested in, because we live in a culture that's more like how you describe your wonderful husband, Alan, which is we we have a goals and plans where we make things happen. And you already talked about how emerge for you or clients just sort of find you you'd go to curacao but when you're in miami how give us an example of how clients find you or or how you end up working with people in miami not because you're giving speeches or selling yourself like how how does that happen
0: i think it started very basically it was a friend who said you know um whenever i talk to you i feel so much better. Can't we do maybe therapy with my husband, or can we start therapy coaching some coaching sessions? So then I started with her, and I had already done. That. It was it's in my blood. I just love that. I love making people, you know, feeling better. That's already what I did as a nurse and opening up new possibilities, seeing the world from a different perspective. That's the systemic part, and I just. Always liked that, and so you know, friends recommended other friends, and then recommended. It was just word by mouth. Neighbors started coming, and uh, there was this one interesting, uh, funny story. I cleaned up my whole yard with furniture, and I sold not sold. I didn't sell. I gave it away. on next door neighbor. It's a it's an app for you know, for the neighborhood. So nobody, you know, they live here in my area. And so I gave away, you know, chairs and tables and whatever. And also I cleaned my house and I gave away an old computer. And the lady contacted me and said, you know, I'm always very suspicious so i googled you before i came here and you know since i'm getting your computer so i really wanted to know what was the screen it was a, a new screen i didn't need it anymore so anyway she she said i googled you and i said i, I read that you had worked with uh, autistic youth and so i have an autistic son could i maybe come with him and see you and i said sure of course so she came and through the connection with her and her autistic on the spectrum, he was not really that autistic. But anyway, I, I mean, she recommended then, uh, then she came with her husband, then uh, her sister-in-law, then their kids, then friends. And I think from just giving away this one computer screen, I had at least 10 clients and it's on and on. It's a, it's, it's just evolving like that. I just get a phone call. It's a friend from a friend from a friend. That's it.
1: I I chuckle because my my professional career is, is totally word of mouth too. And I yeah. I believe if we're genuinely of help to people, the universe supports us by sending more and more and more. So I I love you telling that story. Yes. Now, I believe you're age wise in your late fifties. You, yes, have, uh, you have, you hopefully have a lot of life ahead of you. And we already talked about that, that you're not a planner, necessarily, like life in a way comes to you. But I'm curious, do you have, is there a party that goes, oh, here's some things I'd love to do more of, or maybe here's some things I'd like to do less of, or here's something that I haven't explored that I would like to? Is, does any of that go on with you, Stephanie?
0: Yes, um, I think I would like to go and learn how to surf. (laughs) I still want to do that. I want to not with, I have done windsurfing, but to just go, you know, on, on a board and learn to surf. I'm not sure if I'm too old for that, but that is something I really want to do. But that's more in the, in that, you know, sports and, you know, experience something very new. And then, um, I read like, One or two years ago, a very interesting book that touched me very much. And it was, it's called The Five Invitations. I don't know if you know this book. It's uh, by Frank Ostisievsky, The Five Invitations. And the subtitle is Discovering What Death Can Teach Us About Living Fully. And this book is, I mean, there are many books that touch me, but that was in a phase where I was like a little worried about. Health con- I had health concerns. I was very worried. And this book totally calmed me down, and um, I really enjoyed, you know, his his approach. You know, with the, the the five invitations of being present, of welcoming everything into your life, of you know, trusting the process. And so I thought, yeah, he is a Zen Buddhist, and. He- I think he was a pastor and he but he went into Buddhism and he opened up a Zen hospice in California. So I thought maybe at some point I might look into something like that. I I already went to hospice with my dog a couple of years ago and um there I, I was not so fearful of these moments and um so I might maybe and at some point, maybe enter, you know, something where I can maybe do some workshop or attend something, more learning in that sense.
1: I just like the notion of the five invitations. and um, I'm contrasting it with a book that's in my corporate world, very popular, called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, where it focuses all of the negatives, right? <laughs> and there's. This book is about what I would sound like gentle invitations towards yes. more fullness and a deeper knowing, yeah. a deeper being, yeah. right? And yeah. I can see how that is a much more helpful approach to life.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, I, I'm, I'm wondering, based on the many extraordinary experiences you you've had with dolphins and what you continue to learn and discover about life, especially what i call it, an unplanned life and an organically evolving life if you had a chance to whisper into to the ears of young stephanie who was in the boarding school and maybe felt a little abandoned mm-hmm. or somebody like her what what would you want her to know about life that you know now that that you could not have known then
0: relax <laughs> relax i think is don't overthink relaxation. I mean, relax, especially in our, you know, I think we overthink far too much. I think thinking is really where the problem is originated. Many of our problems, not all of our problems, but thinking is very uh, less thinking, being more present, realizing that we are, we have a very smart You know, brain on our in our head, but we are a body. You know, we are human beings, and uh, and to not underestimate our body and to understand that very often when we have difficulties in regards to you know overthinking problems, creating problems, very often we create problems that you know, might never show up because we are like in an anxiety state, overthinking something that could show up, but might, maybe does not. And uh, that we can utilize our body to a degree that we can calm ourselves down and we can use our senses and to help us anchor in the moment and to realize that the moment is really the only place you're alive it's the only place you're alive that's one of the main parts i always with every client i always try to find out where are they you know when and very often they don't understand the question i say where are you mainly in your life where are you more in the past are you more in the present or are you in the future and i guarantee you most of the people are either in the past or in the future hardly anybody is really present and really participates in their own life it's interesting isn't it it's your life take well, part in.
1: <laughs> well i i appreciate you being present with me for these i gosh 45 minutes or so we had and um our listeners who want to learn more about you, I know you have a website, why don't you share some information about where people can find you and learn more about the work that you do?
0: Well, I must admit, I only have a very little website and it's called go to com, and um, it's more, I think, like a business card. It's not really that, you know, you really learn that much about me, but, you know, since they've... I'm usually found through word of mouth. Then I tell them, you know, you can read a little bit, but it's not like this high functioning.
1: Let me just say, I think, I, you, I think you're being unnecessarily humble because I've known you for a while and I asked you to have this conversation and you graciously said yes. And I said, oh, she has a website. Go to com. Let me look. And I learned things about you that I did not know from your website.
0: Well oh, yeah? So, well,
1: it is a helpful website. It's a professional <laughs> website and it's a Good. I think, wonderful introduction to you and the world
0: thank, you know. thank you so much. Thank you.
1: <laughs> and uh, uh, for now, thank you for the conversation.
0: Thank you for having me, Achim. Tschüss. Tschüss.
1: Like what you heard? Please go to myforthact.com. And subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us. Give us a review. And let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.